Warm is. You know, it, we were home, we were in Michigan, my family's from Michigan, my wife's family's from Michigan, we were in Michigan for um, almost two weeks, um, and uh, it was 100 degrees a couple of days, and they had like 50, 60% humidity, and it was, it was pretty hot. And so all my family members are complaining, it's hot, it's hot. I said, no, no, it's, it's not hot. And uh, we got home to Phoenix for a day. We got home on Thursday, and um, um, there was, uh, the temperature was under 100 degrees, which in the summertime in Phoenix, is, it doesn't happen. Uh, but the only reason it was under 100 degrees is we had precipitation, and there was some rain. And so we, the humidity was about 60%. And it was 98 or 99 degrees. And so um, coming to coastline here in Oceanside, this is, this is all right. You have some of the best weather uh, anywhere around the country. People all around the world covet living in this area. And you would complain that it's warm today. Uh, some of you, I'm giving you a hard time. It's good to be back once again. I'm excited for 14 years 14 years. It's hard to believe time has just flown by. I, I was telling somebody this morning, I remember when the church met at the community center in Carlsbad, and then I remember being at the building here and speaking there uh, several times, uh, down or up the hill or down the hill or whatever it is, and down the hill. And then I remember this building, this being a bank, and uh, looking at this building, there was a vault somewhere, I think it was in this area. And, uh, and how you've uh, done what you've done. And I notice I came back this year and you changed the color scheme on me. And I'm wondering if I'm in the same place. And everything is just, is just wonderful. I love your pastor. I love this church. I love you folks. And I'm grateful for you being here. If I had any church to go to anywhere in the North County area, this is where I'd go. Um, I'm, I'm serious. If I lived anywhere within 40 miles of this place, I would make the drive and come to Coastline. I love your pastor, I love this church, I know uh, they have a vision to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and uh, this is the place you ought to be. If you're deciding, if you're on the edge of where you should go, where God would have you to be as far as a church to call home, I would say really seriously pray about uh, just putting your membership here and putting your efforts here and your service and your, your funds and, and just investing as this church invests in this community. I'd say this would be a great place to be. How many of you guys are military out here this morning? Uh, military, uh, several of you guys, military, former military. How many of you, uh, uh, anybody other than uh, Marines? Uh, anybody other than Marines? Okay, all right. I have a, a story I remember uh, here from some years back hearing. It's about a soldier that he was going on his uh, next commission with his commanding officer. I don't know how that all worked out, but they were on a train together back in the day, and uh, they were traveling to a place for the soldier's next commission. I guess the commanding officer was just traveling along. Well, they just happened to sit down across from a young lady and her grandmother. Well, it was apparent when the soldier sat down with his commanding officer that the soldier had an attraction for this young lady. And they were eyeing each other back and forth, and everybody could tell that uh, there was an interest in one another. And as they were driving along in the car, the uh, train car just happened to go through a tunnel, and there was darkness. Now, there were two distinct sounds that were heard as the train car was in the tunnel. The smooch of a kiss and the slap of a hand. Now, as they got out into the daylight, uh, uh, the grandmother was thinking to herself, uh, she thought, uh, uh, you know, 
I can understand them liking each other, but uh, I'm glad my granddaughter smacked him for kissing her. The uh, young lady thought, uh, wow, uh, uh, you know, I can't believe my grandmother smacked him for kissing me, but I'm sure glad he kissed me. The uh, commanding officer thought to himself, he thought, uh, uh, wow, I can't blame the guy, uh, the soldier, for kissing the young lady, but I sure wish her aim would have been better when she slapped him. (laughs) And the soldier just sat there in his seat. He had the little grin like a cat that stole the cheese or mouse or whatever, and he's just sitting there with a wry grin on his face. And he thought to himself, wow, I can't believe... I got to lay a kiss on such a hot young lady and smack my commanding officer (laughs) and get away with them both. (laughs) Everyone in that story had their own paradigm, their own perception. They thought what they wanted to think. There was one reality. The fact is we all have our own paradigm. We all have our own reality. Some people come to church and They do it because it's the thing to do, and I'm glad if that's you today, I'm glad you're here. But this morning, I really want you to allow yourself to be encouraged from the Word of God today. You see, God's book is living. Everything that we need is right there in God's book, the Word of God. In fact, it says that uh, in, in the Bible are all things that pertain to life and to godliness. Everything we need is right there. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Bible has all that we need. And I want you to turn your attention here this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's look at verse 3. Would you stand, please? 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to bring a message this morning entitled, The Christian's Motivation, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Peter is being used of God to write to a group of Christians that are scattered through Pontus. In verse 1, you see that Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They're dealing with a severe persecution that the Roman government is pressing upon them and, and local governments as well. He's led of God to write here and to start off with a blessing. Notice what it says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that, and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. They're just going through it. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise of and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity and the privilege we have to gather this morning with the Coastline Baptist Church. And Lord, I realize that in my own power, my own strength, my own ability, and my own words, I, have, I don't have the things to ever affect change in the lives of any that are here today. And Lord, we know that your word has everything that we need. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to listen attentively this morning. I pray that we would be open. I pray that whatever may be blocking our soul, our mind, and our heart from receiving what you would have us to receive today will be taken away and removed. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to focus on the right motivation for our lives today. And I pray that we would truly understand that uh, uh, what we do is important, but why we do what we do is probably even more important. Because if why we do what we do is not right, then we're eventually not going to be doing the what we should do. Lord, help us to understand that this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd be with specifically those that have endured some trials, those that have maybe dealt with some health problems, those that have some questions, those that are in a difficult place right now. Encourage them, give them special encouragement. And then, Lord, I pray that we would redirect and refocus our lives and truly understand what hope is. I pray for anybody that's here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they would come to that understanding. And I pray that you'd be glorified in everything that's said and done. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Heard about a couple who was uh, from the Midwest, and they decided to go to Florida for a long weekend to thaw out during an icy winter they were experiencing. Because they both had busy schedules and jobs that uh, were not always accommodating to get away, they had difficulty coordinating their travel schedules, and it was decided that the husband would fly to Florida on Thursday, and his wife would follow the next day on Friday. Upon arriving as planned, the husband checked into the hotel. He decided to open his laptop and send his wife an email back home. However, as he was sending the email, he left off one letter in the email address and sent the email without realizing the error. It didn't get bounced back for whatever reason. In Houston, a widow had just returned from her husband's funeral. Uh, the husband was a pastor of many years who had been called home to heaven. The widow checked her email that same day expecting messages from relatives and friends and condolences and so on. Upon reading the first message, though, she fainted and fell to the floor. The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and saw the computer screen which read in the, uh, the body of the uh, email, To my loving wife, uh, from your departed husband, subject, I've arrived. Message, I've just arrived and checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> I am looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine. P.S. Sure is hot down here. <laughs> How many of you have ever gotten some bad news like that? Anybody ever gotten some bad news? You know, everywhere we go, there's bad news. I mean, you turn on the 
television to uh, watch the newscasts, and everywhere around us, there's bad news. The economy's bad. The jobs report on Friday. Uh, the uh, the interest rates. All the all the different things around the world. Uh, Europe is having problems financially. Uh, uh, Spain uh, just uh, set in some austerity measures. Uh, uh, Portugal and Greece and Ireland and several other European countries are in danger of uh, financial collapse. All around us, there's bad news. Uh, San Bernardino just filed for bankruptcy last week or the week before. Uh, San Diego's in danger of doing so. Uh, Several other cities around California, Stockton, and uh, there's bad news everywhere. I was reading some email uh, or some uh, uh, news reports uh, yesterday, and I learned about an accident of a a young family. They were traveling in Texas, and and in that accident, there were two uh, uh, parents that were killed and four children that were orphaned. One of the little boys was off to the side uh, uh, getting away from the accident, and as he was getting away from the accident, he looked out and he saw a piece of his father lying in front of him. Everywhere we look, there's bad news. Personally speaking, maybe some of you have just recently been given some bad news. Maybe it's a family member that's having some problems. Maybe it's yourself. You got some bad news from a doctor. Maybe it's a son or a daughter or their relationship, their marriage. It doesn't seem like it's going real well. Or maybe you just got some bad news. Your job has been cut or the promotion that you were hoping for has been denied. And, And all around us, there's bad news. In all of the mess that we contend with, sometimes the question is asked, is there any hope? Now this morning I'm assuming there are three types of people here today. First of all, people who are seeking for some answers, a reason to live, something to grab a hold of. Secondly, there are probably people here today who would claim to be a Christian, but somewhere along the line their hopes have been dashed. Their, their false, the false promises of uh, health and wealth have not been fulfilled. The teachings uh, of a five steps to a rock-solid marriage or financial health or having your prayers answered and on and on have brought you to a place of disappointment with God and maybe sometimes you're not sure if there even is a God. And there are people here today that have the most, mostly the right idea of life and hope And no matter the circumstances that come into your life, you you deal with them understanding that this world is not your home. You're just a passing through. Imagine this morning life without hope. Imagine. You live, you die, that's it. You live, you die for what? What keeps you going? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? What are you motivated for and and with if there is no hope? You live, you die, they sprinkle some dirt on you in the ground and that's it. You cease to exist if there is no hope. You're in a marriage and if there's no hope, there's no hope out of that marriage. You either divorce or you deal with that person that you look at in the bed in the morning that uh, doesn't seem to ever change their ways or their problems without hope, without God. Imagine life without hope. The job that you're in that you're looking forward to retire from someday. If there's no hope, there's no retirement. If there's no hope, you have the drudgery of the job all your life. It's like a ball and chain that weighs you down. There's nothing to look forward to 
if there's no hope. In fact, that's the context to which Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19 when he says, If only in this life, if only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, he was talking about the resurrection of the dead in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he says, if there is no resurrection, and if only we have hope in Christ, and if Christ be not raised from the dead, hey, we are of all men most miserable because if Christ isn't raised, then our faith is in vain and we are yet in our sins. But you know what? Hope changes everything. It changes everything. You see, because we have hope, we have something to grab a hold of. Because we have hope, we have something to live for. Because we have hope, we understand this world is in our home. We're passing through. As Paul was writing to the, uh, these Christians scattered about Asia and these different places, he called them strangers. Later on, he calls them strangers and pilgrims in this world. This isn't our final destination. And if our hopes were all bent in this world, our life would be pretty miserable if that's all we had to ever look forward to. This morning, as we look at the text in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, we'll see and we'll examine the source of our motivation, then the substance of our motivation, and then the security of our motivation. And I want you to see, first of all, the source of our motivation. Notice what the Bible says. It says, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. You see, very simply, folks, the, the source of our hope begins and ends with God. Think about this with me for a minute. 93 million miles from the blistering surface of the sun hangs planet Earth. It's there. A rotating sphere perfectly suspended in the center of the universe. The ultimate creation from an infinite mind, God Himself. An unbelievable, uh, unbelievable, intricate, complex design, a supernatural testimony, an irrefutable sign that there is a God. The size, the position, and the angle of the earth is a scientific phenomena uh, which no one else can explain except a divine designer. Uh, you see, the earth hangs at 23 degrees on its axis, a perfect angle, and that didn't happen by ac accident. We understand that allows for the equal distribution of the sunlight and seasons and all of those things, and God allowed all of that to be so. Think about the atmosphere. We have the perfect amount of oxygen and nitrogen and carbon dioxide for life to exist on planet earth. That didn't happen by accident. We understand God did it. You see, everything begins and ends with God. You look even to the Bible, in the beginning what? God. You look at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, you see, it's all about the new heaven and new earth and God's eternal kingdom. And as we look at the source of our motivation this morning, we see specifically the source of our motivation is God. But specifically, notice what the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy, you see, because of God's mercy, we have this thing of hope. 
hope. You see, mercy is different from grace. Grace is something given to us that we don't deserve, and mercy is something not given to us that we do deserve. Several years ago, we had in Phoenix these, uh, these cameras that would take pictures of you when you were driving down the freeway just to kind of maybe get a good sight line of you, you know what I mean? And the sight line that they were getting was when you were going over the speed limit, over 10 miles over the speed limit. Well, while those cameras were there in Phoenix, and, and mind you, I am not uh, heavy-footed on purpose, uh, uh, I got uh, uh, six of those things. <laughs> now, four of them happened at an, uh, a place on, on Interstate 10 where at 83rd Avenue, the speed limit went from 65 to 55 because they were doing construction on that portion of Interstate 10. And so uh, all four of those tickets, uh, I think all of them but one, uh, excuse me, three of the four tickets, I got a ticket at 67 miles an hour. Now, well, the speed limit went down to 55 right in that same area. Now, um, you know, I thought that I could go to court and I thought I could say, you know, Mr. Judge, uh, um, uh, your, your honor, um, you know, this is the situation, and right here at 83rd Avenue, I'm sure you've had other people tell you this, that the speed limit, because of the construction pass there, goes from 65 to 55, and it really wasn't well marked. I mean, uh, and, and, you know, I knew it was there, but, you know, you're not thinking it's 65, and you're just driving along, and all of a sudden it goes 55, and right after that, pew! So I went to court. I thought, I could talk to the judge. You know, I can talk to anybody. I can talk to the judge. And I went to court, and sure enough, you know, my name's Zamora, and so I'm like the last guy in line. My wife and I were off for a, a couple of days, just her and I time, and left the kids with somebody else, and, and uh, probably not the place to stop before you're going with your wife to you and her time, you know what I mean? Uh, especially when you're looking at the prospect of possibly paying close to $400 and ticket fines. You know what I could have done with that money? <laughs> I could have bought shoes for the kids. <laughs> you know, I heard it. I understand. Well, I'm sitting there in court, and I tried to explain to the judge, uh, uh, judge, you know, here's the situation. And, and when I realized that wasn't working, I, was, I pled for the mercy of the court. And the judge looked at me, and he said, Mr. Zamora, there's no mercy here. <laughs> And I was fined, and I had to pay the fine. Now, we don't always like getting what we deserve. But the fact of the matter is, if we got what we deserved in the aspect of eternity, every one of us would go to a Christless hell. But you see, because of God's mercy, there's hope. Because of God's mercy, God reached down and he looked from the beginning of time, from the foundation of the world. Jesus was foreordained to suffer and to bleed and to die on Calvary's cross. Because of God's mercy, there was Christ's death. Because of God's mercy, there was Christ's atonement. Because of God's mercy, there was Christ's suffering. Because of God's mercy, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's because of God's mercy. You see, God's mercy extends from his character. And because of that, there is hope. 
Farley wrote in his book, Outrageous Mercy, he says, The cross is our teacher. The cross is a window through which we learn everything we know about God. Uh, humanity, wisdom, worship, the purpose of suffering, the purpose of life, and a host of other issues. If you knew nothing else but the cross, you would, and you knew it thoroughly, you would know everything essential for this life and for the next. Mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, as Paul was writing to the Ephesian Christians, he put it this way, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein ye in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others, but God who is rich in mercy. You see, before you and I became Christians and received Jesus Christ as the payment of our sin and the Lord of our life, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were like dead people walking. Back when I was a little kid, I remember uh, being exposed to the great Hebrew scholar, Hanna-Barbera. And as a little kid, as I was exposed to Hanna-Barbera, I got to be a part of his epilogue, Scooby-Doo. And I remember Scooby-Doo and his adventures, and as uh, uh, Daphne and Fred and Scooby and Shaggy and who's the other one, Velma, as they were going around in the mystery machine and, and uh, uh, trying to solve the world's problems and things like that, every once in a while, Scooby-Doo and Shaggy would happen upon somebody who was a dead man walking a zombie. And literally, I'll be honest with you, as a little kid, I knew in the end that Fred and Daphne and Scooby and Shaggy and Velma were going to find out that uh, it was somebody dressed up in a costume or something like that. But I'll tell you what, that was pretty scary for me as a little four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, 25-year-old. I mean, it was pretty scary for me. But imagine this, God looking down from eternity and God looking down to mankind and God looking down and seeing a bunch of people who are children of wrath, dead in their trespasses and sins, children of the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, and God looking down and in spite of all of that, in spite of what we deserve, God saying, wait a minute, hey, Jesus is going to die for them. Before man was even made, God, who is rich in mercy. You see, because of God's mercy, we have hope. We have something to look forward to. You see, that judge, he gave me no hope. None. I had to answer for a couple of other tickets another time, and this judge was even meaner. But this judge, his son, attended our church and was also a judge. And so I was literally going to plead for the mercy of the court. And just so happened, I, I was the last one again. And something happened between the Red Flex guy who represented the camera company in the state and the judge. And the judge said, okay, Mr. Zamora, you're free to go. <laughs> mercy mercy I don't know what happened I didn't ask the red flex guy uh, on the way out he said Mr. Zamora I don't want to see you in here ever again I said you won't I promise <laughs> shortly thereafter they took all the cameras out <laughs> you see the source of our motivation 
is God's mercy. Secondly, we see the source of our motivation is Jesus' resurrection by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, if Jesus only lived a good life and gave us his teachings and amassed a following but never resurrected from the dead, we wouldn't have that which could authenticate our hope. Several years ago, uh, there was much talk that they found a, a burial box that said, it had the inscription on it, Jesus, the brother of James. And so all of these modernists and people that deny the resurrection were all in a, in a tissy. They were all excited. We found the bones of Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God. We found the bones. They were all excited. And I remember hearing the news reports, and I'm thinking, liar. You didn't find the bones of Jesus. He rose from the dead. And after they did their radiocarbon dating and all their research, they found out it was somebody else that was named Jesus. Obviously, it was the transliteration of Joshua during those days, a very common name. But you see, if Christ be not raised, as the Bible says, ye are yet in your sins and your faith is in vain. But because Christ suffered and bled and died and he rose, we understand that if we receive Christ as the payment of our sins, uh, we understand he paid for our sins and we can rise something new in him. That's why the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What is the source of our hope? It's God. It's his mercy. It's the resurrection of his son from the dead. What else do we see this morning as we look to our text? We see the substance of our motivation. Notice what it says. It says, which hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. The dictionary puts it this way as we look at hope's definition. The dictionary says the, that hope is the feeling what is uh, wanted can be had or the events will turn out for the best. Secondly, to look forward to with desire and reasonable confidence. Uh, number three, to believe, to desire, or to trust. Number four, to put trust or to place trust or rely upon. Hope is a desire. It's an anticipation. It's an emotion based on a positive expectation of something that we want to happen happening. Now, my uh, daughter, who's not in here this morning, the youngest one, she's not in here? Okay, the other two are in here this morning. But my daughter, who's the youngest, is tur- she turned six today. So she's all excited. But if I were to say to my six-year-old daughter, six-year-old daughter, <laughs> today we're going to go to Disneyland. I'll tell you what, the only thing that child would ever be, be able to think about today would be Disneyland. She wouldn't think about lunch. She wouldn't think about anything else. She wouldn't think about using the restroom. <laughs> she wouldn't think about uh, uh, anything other than going to Disneyland. You see, it's an anticipation that something we want to happen will happen in our life. Now, standing before a firing squad, you have expectation but you don't have hope. But waiting to see if your chili has won the chili cook-off, or waiting to see if that ball that you can't find is in the hole after a, on a par three, or, or waiting to see if you're going to win some award, you have hope and you have expectation. You see, there's a difference, and the difference is in desire. You see, hope 
is looking for and understanding that the best is still yet to be. You see, and that's what we have as Christians. We look at hope's definition. We look at hope's description. You see, the hope that we as believers have, it's not something that will ever, I believe, completely be fulfilled in this life. We understand it will thoroughly be fulfilled when we get to heaven, but it's something that we look forward to. It's something that we grasp a hold of today, knowing with confidence that we have it and we look forward to it being fulfilled in our lives. Now, the context is these Christians are suffering under uh, the severe persecution of the Roman government. This is a time when they would actually put Christians in the arena and have the wild beasts attack them just for entertainment. This is a time when they would knock on doors and try to find out if you were a Christian, if you were a Christian, they were going to uh, put you uh, uh, to the test. They were going to lock you away. They were going to uh, do all kinds of evil things towards you. And this was the era to which Peter is writing to people. They needed hope. We know what our situation, although we're not maybe facing physical persecution, our situation isn't different in the fact that we still have problems in our life. You see, as Paul writes uh, about hope, he writes to different churches. This is what he writes to the church at Colossae in verse uh, 5 of chapter 1. It says, for the hope which is laid for you in heaven. Titus chapter 1, he says, in the hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. In Ephesians, he write this, wrote this in verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. You see, what we have to look forward to is greater than anything we could have ever obtained in this life. But sometimes when you talk about heaven and you talk about hope, it's like, <sighs> I've heard that before. Several years ago, I read a book by a guy by the name of Ted Dakar. He is a very prominent Christian fiction author and and I, I've never read any of his fiction books because, as I've told people before, I have enough fiction in my own life, and, <laughs> and so I don't read a lot of fiction. But I did read his uh, first book that was a nonfiction book, and it was called The Slumber of Christianity. And really, in, in the book, the whole essence is that many Christians today are in a slumber. And I would, I would agree with that. Not just in churches, you know, but uh, many Christians, uh, like in the service, and like right now, some of you. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, uh, not just in that, that uh, state, but many Christians are just, they just have the wrong perspective in life. And he talked about growing up on a mission field. His parents were missionaries to Papua New Guinea. And uh, they, they were in the bush, and he went to a boarding school, he and his brother, and they, they really didn't have anything when they were there. In fact, they had hand-me-downs of hand-me-downs. They didn't just have hand-me-downs. They had the hand-me-downs of hand-me-downs. The only thing that they ever really owned that was something they really enjoyed while they were there on the mission field was a, a ratty old motorcycle that they had found somewhere and bought for a few pennies or something like that and were able to ride through the forest of Papua New Guinea while they were there at boarding school. And all he ever wanted was to make it big in business. And he wanted to make it big, so the place, where, where do you think he ended up wanting to make it big? L.A. He went to the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, and he decided to get a degree in business. And, and by the time, before he was 30 years of age, if I remember the story correctly, he was ready to buy an island on the Carib in the Caribbean and retire. That's how much money he had made. But you know it. It, it didn't fill the void that he had in his life. It didn't satisfy him. 
he was married by this time, and he had a couple of children. And, and uh, uh, as uh, he was getting ready to buy this island, his wife convinced him that that probably wouldn't be the best situation for them uh, to do as a family, you know, being stranded on an island in the Caribbean, you know, and the kids away from the grandparents and away from anybody. And, you know, it's probably not the best thing to do. And so she convinced him otherwise. And so he decided his brother lived near Colorado. So he decided to, to get close to God again. And so what better place he thought than to go up into the mountains, get as high as you can and get as close to God as you can. And so he bought a cabin in Colorado and he, and he, he was maybe connecting a little bit with God, but it just wasn't there for him. And it wasn't until his brother died, his closest companion besides his wife and his life, the one who had been through thick and thin with him on the mission field and when they were kids, that he really realized what life was all about. And he realized in his own life there's a cycle that he went through and that we all go through at times. You fix your hopes and dreams on something. And you work towards seeing those dreams and hopes fulfilled only to find out when those dreams and hopes are fulfilled, that goal is fulfilled, it's not as fulfilling as you thought it was only to find yourself discouraged and despondent and depressed until you have something else to put your hopes and dreams upon and you go through the cycle all over again. And what he said in, in his book was his eyes of understanding needed to be enlightened because he really didn't realize what the riches and the glory and the inheritance of the saints was all about. I wondered this morning, do you really realize what you have as a Christian? Do you really realize the substance that you have in Jesus Christ? What you have to look forward to? You see, we see this morning hope's description. We see that uh, it's beyond what we can even imagine. The Bible describes it as a lively hope. The Bible goes on to describe it as incorruptible. The hope that we have is incapable of being tainted. The Greek word behind this describes literally the character of God. God's character is holy. It's incapable of being tainted. It goes on to describe it as undefiled, not stained. We understand that everything on this planet is stained. You know, it's interesting. You can go hiking up one of these mountains in San Diego area or a, a little further north in LA or, or some of these other places. You go to Mount Everest in the Himalayas and as you get to this beautiful place and you're looking down upon the valleys, you look over and there's graffiti. Everything we have on this world has been tainted. Intimacy has been tainted. Everything, uh, even childbirth and having children and family and all of those things have been tainted because of sin. Everything is tainted. The Bible describes this hope as not only incorruptible, undefiled. It describes it that it says that fadeth not away. It never gets old. I got saved in 1986. I was invited to church coming out of, of all places, and of course I'm not recommending this, an Ozzy Osbourne concert. I had my tour t-shirt on, the ultimate sin. On the tour t-shirt was a picture of a, uh, supposedly the beast in Revelation with the heads and horns, and on one of the heads was Ozzy's head. 
I remember some people confronting me with the gospel that uh, evening after I came out of the Saginaw Civic Center there in July. 26 years here this year. And they asked me, do you know where you stand with God? And to be honest with you, at that point, I had questions, but at that point, coming out of that concert and listening to that music, I didn't care where I stood. But they invited me to church, and I ended up going, and I got saved. I can honestly say, for the most part, I've never, I can honestly say that, not never, I've almost never viewed God as getting old. I have my moments just like we all do, but you know, the hope that we have, it doesn't get old, it fades not away. Everything in this life gets old, it fades away. I I remember my first car, I was so excited about it, and the first car, I really wanted to buy a 1969 Camaro. I remember I was looking at one. I could have bought one for 1500 bucks. took the magnets, my dad and I, around the, the edges of the car to see if there's any Bondo on the car in Michigan. Found a car with no Bondo on it. Engine was in pretty good shape. The interior needed some work and so on. It was in running condition. And, man, I wanted to buy that car. 1500 bucks. I mean, I was 16 years old thinking of myself uh, going down the highway and such and, and having a good old time in that 69 Camaro. I mean, that's, that's the car that they patterned the new Camaro after basically. I remember my dad looking at me and he said, son, he says, you know, this car gets about eight miles a gallon. <laughs> you really want a car that gets eight miles a gallon? You're going to be driving for- back and forth to this and that. And he convinced me of not buying the 69 Camaro. I'm still bitter about it, that. <laughs> <laughs> and I bought a 1980 Buick Skylark. It looked like a box on wheels. Economical, though, got about 23 miles a gallon, six-cylinder. Had red velour interior. (laughs) I bought that car with my money. I had my name on the title. I mean, I was so excited about that old car. I mean, people would come into that car, my sisters, and they'd have food. Hey, you can't bring that food in here. I'd wash that car like every two or three days, and and man, that was my car. But you know what? After a while, it got old. I wanted something else. I got me a 1978 Buick LeSabre, SS Zamora. I mean, big old boat of a car. I said, nobody's going to get in my way. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a big old thing. But you know what? Everything in this life has a tendency of getting old, but the hope that we have in eternity is not to get old. Notice what it goes on to say, that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. It goes on to say, that's reserved in heaven for you that are kept by the power of God. Notice what it says. It says, uh, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, the hope that we have in eternity future is something that's a reality for us here today as we look forward to it then. And it's something that's secured by God himself. God gives it to us. God's not going to take it away. We're kept by the power of God. God is fully going to reveal it to us in the last time when we're delivered from this life through death or when we're raptured out of this world. Our hope will be totally fulfilled. 
But notice what it goes on to say as we look at the security of our motivation. It says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. That's some of you right now. Some of you, it could be said, you're in a season. Some of you, it could be said, you're in heaviness. Some of you right now, it can be said, you're dealing with many trials or temptations. You're dealing with it. I used to think that when I became a Christian, um, then everything would go good. I wouldn't have any problems. I would kind of be inoculated from that which was tough and difficult. But you know what I realized? I realized that when I became a Christian, that's kind of when it all, the battle started. The flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, these being contrary to the one to the other so that you, not do, you cannot do the things that you would. It's like the devil didn't care about me when I was his, but after I became one of God's, uh, then he started uh, giving me a tough time, and, I, and me having to deal with my flesh and everything else. Uh, we understand we all deal with trials. Jesus said, in this life, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We understand Peter goes on to say, uh, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Every one of us is going to deal with problems and difficulties in this life. About two and a half years ago, three years ago, I was having some problems and had to go see a urologist and they thought I possibly had prostate cancer. I was sick all the time. Um, just if you didn't know anything about that situation, you just, you're going to get sick. If you can't empty, you're going to get sick. And so I had to deal with that. I had to deal with the prospect of wearing a bag as a 38-year-old man. That's not fun. Being sick all the time, they took care of that problem, removed that, and, and the urologist said, there's something still wrong here. We, we can't figure what's, what's going on, but it's a neurological problem. You need to go see a neurologist. And so I got to see a neurologist, and, and what they've discovered, they haven't definitively determined what the prognosis is, but they determined I have white matter spots on the brain. Some of you know exactly what that is, and lesions on the brain, and, and um, um, possibly an autoimmune disease like MS or something like that, uh, or something um, in that nature. So I, I walk up and down the steps, and... I, I have this feeling all the time that I'm going to fall, lose my balance. When I get really tired, my hands start to shake. It's almost as if like I have Parkinson's when I'm really tired. Um, sometimes I can't sleep, and sometimes that's all I want to do is sleep. Um, there are other problems. I get headaches at times, really bad headaches, and and just other things that I have to deal with. But you know what? As the scripture goes on to say, we all deal with problems. And notice what it goes on to say in the very next verse. It says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. 
Last I knew, gold was about $1,600 an ounce. The Bible says this, that the trying of our faith is more precious than even the greatest amount of valuables in this world. That's not how we look at trials generally. We look at trials and, and all we want to do is get away from them. All we want to do is alleviate them. All we want to do is get them out of our life. But the Bible says that the trying of your faith is more precious than the greatest substance in this earth. Wow. How I need to change my thinking at times. That's not how we view them as Christians. But notice what it goes on to say. Though it be tried with fire might be found into the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know what God is doing when he allows trials into our life, whatever it is, financial trials, health problems? He's trying to purify us. He's a sovereign God. He's in control. He causes or allows whatever happens in our life. He knows what he's doing. And you know what he's doing? He's trying to purify. And help us to have the right paradigm. Help us to have the right focus. Help our eyes to be fixed in the right place. And then it goes on to say this. It says, Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. You see, we don't see him physically. But we're filled and we're to be filled with an inexpressible joy for the goal of our faith, the fulfillment of our hope in eternity. We may get to enjoy a taste now, but we will have the fulfillment in Jesus Christ in the days to come. One man writes this, Christianity's foundation is based upon a living hope that fills us with an inexpressible joy for that which is to come. Without this hope, our faith will fail. We won't have the power to withstand our trials and we'll slip into a state of apathy, never becoming what God desires for us to become in our lives. Heard about a young man who was trying to establish himself as a peach grower. He worked real hard and invested everything he had into his peach orchard. Finally, it blossomed. Things seemed to be going good, but later came a frost and killed his chances of having a good peach crop. He did not go to church the next Sunday, nor the next Sunday, nor the next Sunday, and on. His pastor went to try to encourage him to get him back to church, and the young man complained. He said, I'm not going back to church. Do you think I want to worship a God who cares for me so little that he would allow a frost to kill my peaches? The old pastor looked at him in silence for a few moments and then kindly said, You know, God loves you more than he does your peaches. He knows that while peaches do better without frost, he said it's impossible to grow the best of men without frost. You see, his object is to grow men and not peaches. I don't know if and who and what trials you may be going through. But you know, the fact is, his object is to grow men and women. Not a business. Not peaches. That's his goal. Hope. Is that the reason why you get out of bed in the morning? 
It should be. It should be the reason we go to church. It should be the reason we serve. It should be the reason we tithe and give to missions. It should be the reason for everything that we do hope. Heavenly Father, Lord,